Should Illinois get the first in the nation primary next time around? After the Iowa caucus debacle, Governor J.B. Pritzker thinks so. But Illinois is having its own problems with voting technology. And meanwhile, a former legislative inspector general says there is yet another case of lawmakers bearing a report about wrongdoing by another lawmaker. All that coming up on this week's edition of Capital Cast. Hello and welcome to Capital Cast, a weekly podcast of Capital News Illinois. I'm Peter Hancock here with Jerry Nowicki and Rebecca Anzel. So the 2020 presidential nominating season got underway in Iowa this week, sort of. The Iowa caucuses were Monday, and the Democratic Party there tried using a mobile app so precinct captains could report their results over the internet. Suffice it to say, things did not go well, all of which is now reviving the decades-old debate about why states like Iowa and New Hampshire should get to go first. Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker had some thoughts on that this week. This state is a diverse state in so many ways, in ways that Iowa and New Hampshire are not. Um, our state is more representative of the United States, of the you know, rural, suburban, urban environments of the entire country, of the technology industry and the farming industry, the agriculture industry. Um, we represent every aspect of the United States in Illinois, and I think it is appropriate for us to put ourselves forward as the first in the nation. If you can win in a state like Illinois, with so many different regions, so many different types of people from all over this state, if you can win in a state like this, then you're worthy of uh, being the nominee of your party. Let me also say that the Republican Party this morning also came out in favor of Illinois becoming the first state in the United States to hold its primary elections. So, Jerry, you were at that news conference, and he makes a fairly strong case, I think, that Illinois should be at least as deserving as any other state to go first. Um, What do you think the chances are of that? You know, I I don't know if I can make odds on whether or not it will happen. Four years is a long time away. It all depends on what else happens this election cycle, whatever happens in between. I know there's some other questions this Secretary of State's office and Board of Elections have been facing. I think we'll discuss that later. Rebecca was at that committee. Um, But, you know, he also had a lot to say about just the caucus system in general in Iowa, how it's, you know, a lot of people are having to take three or four hours out of their day just to go sit there or whatever. It's not a very uh, democratic process in, in many ways. So. Yeah, I can tell you as someone who has covered caucuses, they go on for hours, uh, depending on how many people show up. Uh, so you have to devote a big part of your day. Uh, some states do them on a weekend, so it's easier for people to show up. I think Iowa was doing theirs on a Monday night, uh, and people were stuck down there for hours. So it's not like going into a voting booth in a primary and just marking your ballot, sticking in the box, and uh, going home after that. It's 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 a pretty involved process. Right. There's no early voting from, from what I understand. It's just a one-night thing. You can make it or you can't. And there's no secret ballot either. You have to show up and actually physically identify yourself as being in one camp or another. Right. But there has been a lot of talk since the Iowa caucuses. I mean, we're sitting here on Friday after the caucuses, and I believe we still don't have final official results. The Democratic National Committee is even calling on the state party there to re-canvas just to make sure it's, it's right. Um, and so there does seem to be some serious question about whether or not Iowa should be going first. 
Um, I'm just sort of wondering, you know, Illinois can make a pretty good case, but I'm guessing maybe Ohio could make the same case as well. Uh, right. New uh, York could make that same case. Uh, sure. So, <laughs> so one of the interesting things about Illinois is uh, that their elections, primary elections, are run through the Illinois State Board of Elections. Uh, you have to file through them, uh, whereas in Iowa, I think it's the state Democratic Party that runs that. And the parties have this. to organize them. They have to round up volunteers to be yeah. there to count the votes. And they tested out this crazy app, which did not work. Okay, so meanwhile, uh, the case against Illinois is the fact that we've been having our own little technology problems with elections. Probably not anything, I mean, when you get right down to it, not anything on the same scale uh, that they're seeing in Iowa. Uh, but Rebecca, you covered a hearing uh, about... Uh, Oh, there were some non-citizens who accidentally got registered to vote, and then there were some uh, former inmates who were released and should have gotten their voting rights back but didn't. Uh, tell us what's going on there. So, yeah, everything you said. Um, There's a hearing this week uh, sort of at, at the behest of um, the Republicans from both chambers, but also Democrats came out uh, in favor of, of talking about it. Secretary of State Jesse White was there. Um, that office has taken full responsibility for what happened uh, and apologized. Um, Secretary of State White uh, said that you know he put his staff on notice um, that if anything like this happens again, heads will roll. Those are his words, not mine. Yeah, let's listen to what Secretary White said during that hearing. In December, we discovered a computer programming error that impacted 500, 574 people. This error was fixed on the same day it was confirmed. I'm angry. What happened? I put my staff on notice. Zero tolerance will be the order of the day with the Secretary of State's office going forward. But I want to highlight and assure you that we found the error the first day and we fixed it and we notified the State Board of Elections and, and, the, and the authorities that there was a problem and that uh, there's no need to uh, be discouraged by the efforts of, that were put forth by the Secretary of State's office. 574 individuals were affected by this uh, error, and I want to apologize to you and all of those who were impacted. My entire staff uh, have been put on notice that zero tolerance when it comes to the delivery of services to the people of the state of Illinois. So there he is taking full responsibility for what happened. I think it ended up being just one line of code out of some program that has maybe 80, 90,000 lines of code in it uh, that just failed to filter out the people who clicked no uh, when they were asked, are you a U.S. citizen? They got that fixed. There were 545, I think, who actually did get registered, and of those, uh, maybe 15 voted. But it turns out some of those actually were citizens who just clicked the wrong button. They do know of at least one non-citizen who actually voted. They also know of one county election where a sheriff's race was decided by one vote so um, small mistakes can really add up yeah um, so, so uh, Springfield representative um, Tim Butler who's a Republican had had sort of made the point in his opening arguments in this hearing that um, of course you know the amount of people who are erroneously registered as voters is very small um, compared to the entire electorate in the state but um, that that small percentage does seed some sort of uh, doubt in the state's election processes, and so that's why he and the other Republicans uh, on the committee were—I don't want to say distraught, but 
we're definitely bothered by what happened and we're seeking for uh, to hear something from the Secretary of State's office and the Board of Elections that assured them it was going to be fixed. So we're seeing these issues with the voter registration system in Illinois. We're seeing the debacle with the reporting of votes in Iowa. Of course, Illinois was targeted as one of a number of states in 2016 that was targeted by hackers who are apparently agents of the Russian government. All of this together, and I'll, I'll ask both of you, do you sense there is some eroding of public trust in just how we run basic elections? Yeah, I mean, that's definitely the case. Um, there are people in Iowa, depending on who you're backing, are several theories as to, you know, your candidate was being targeted in in this breach when it certainly sounds like it was just a poorly designed app and poor reporting and a poorly designed system. Yeah, and, and I agree with Jerry. I think it, I think it makes people a little concerned. Um, the other thing from that hearing was the Secretary of State's office um, could only point to about two things that, that they would fix um, to try to improve this, and so it didn't happen again. Um, several Republican representatives had asked about several other things they thought could be fixed, and the office just always responded, yeah, we'll look into it. Um, I, I was sort of struck by, by that as um, sort of important. It seems like, you know, they're maybe considering things to do, but they couldn't really point definitively to a number of things that they would fix and that would without a doubt fix this problem and it, it was interesting to me because they said there was no need for a legislative fix here they could fix it all internally it seemed to be a purely technical problem that they could fix administratively right. uh, or at least that's what they're saying for right now right um it should be pointed out that this automatic voter registration system where you go in and you just automatically get registered to vote if you want to when you uh, apply for or renew your driver's license. Uh, this was passed in 2017, passed unanimously out of both chambers, Republicans and Democrats. It was signed into law by then Republican Governor Bruce Rauner. Uh, so there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of partisan outrage like you would see maybe in some other states. Uh, automatic registration still seems to have a lot of legislative support here. Uh, but now I guess maybe just some more Republican skepticism about it. Especially because this hearing this week was the first time um, that there had been any sort of like legislative check-in to see how the program was going, and it was after this had happened. Um, uh, so we might see more come out of it. One of um, the Secretary of State's office officials that were there had said that they would follow up um, in May before the legislature adjourned for the, the session to check in and make sure everything's going okay. Okay. And finally this week, I want to talk about the Legislative Inspector General's Office, which a lot of people may not be very aware of. Uh, it kind of became the focus of the Special Commission on Ethics and Lobbying Reform this week. Inspectors General are people who are supposed to be the public watchdogs over state government. Uh, in Illinois, we have the legislative branch has an inspector general, the executive branch has one, and the other constitutional officers like the Secretary of State and Attor Attorney General all have their own internal inspectors general. Uh, back in April of last year, Julie Porter, who had just left the job of the le acting legislative inspector general, wrote an op-ed piece in the Chicago Tribune arguing that that office is particularly weak because unlike the others, he or she can't really do anything without approval of a group of legislators, the very people 
that their office is in charge of overseeing. And she wrote about two specific cases where this group of eight lawmakers called the Legislative Ethics Commission essentially squashed or silenced reports about wrongdoing that she thought should have been made public. On Thursday of this week, she testified before the Joint Commission and said she's now aware of a third case where that happened. Here's Julie Porter talking to reporters after that hearing. What I can tell you is that it was a serious investigation where I found wrongdoing that I referred to the Office of the Attorney General, who then filed a complaint, which means that they, that they substantiated and found a basis for my complaint. And my belief, based on the public reporting, is that the Legislative Ethics Commission dismissed it. Um, that should not be possible. That is something that really should change. Whether I'm right or whether I'm wrong, the public should have an opportunity to see the work of the Legislative Inspector General and make its own assessment. So now we're kind of coming back full circle because, of course, you know, Illinois has a reputation, earned or not, uh, of having run crooked elections decades ago. And now we're seeing problems with election voter registration systems. Uh, and it also has a reputation for corruption in state government. And here we are with a special commission investigating uh legislative ethics and whether or not there is any independent watchdog looking out over them. Uh, Jerry, what does this say about Illinois' chances of getting to be the first in the nation primary? <laughs> I don't know what it says about that. Um, but, you know, Julie Porter had made the argument this is essentially the fox guard in the hen house because it's lawmakers that can decide if a report about lawmakers gets seen by the public. So, uh, are they protecting their own? Who knows? Um, where that plays into national politics, uh, I don't know. Who's to say? Yeah, and it should probably be pointed out that, you know, I talked about the executive branch inspector general. That inspector general also reports to an executive ethics commission. But in in state law, state employees are specifically excluded from being able to serve on that commission uh, because it's the state employees that that person's supposed to be overseeing. The legislature operates differently. The Legislative Ethics Commission uh, is made up of legislators who have the authority to say, no, you can't issue a subpoena. No, you can't launch that investigation. Or no, we're not going to make that report public. That was one of the complaints of um, the current Legislative Inspector General is um, at every single point of, of her uh, investigation, you know, she gets a complaint, she has to look into it. She has to ask that group of lawmakers for permission and so she also has said you know it's really hard to keep things private and confidential as guaranteed by statute if I have to go to lawmakers all the time whenever I want to launch investigation follow up on things issue a subpoena yeah and that's former judge Carol Pope who is now the inspector general she took over oh in February of last year just as Julie Porter was leaving there was a period of about three or four years where they didn't just didn't fill the position after a guy named Tom Homer had left. He'd been there for about 10 years. And then the position just went unfilled for a long time. So, Jerry, you've been around this for a while. How important of an office is this? It's certainly important. And the fact that they don't have the independence, uh, they're, they're finding things. We don't know about it. We as the press can't get that through Freedom of Information Act. Uh, these people could be dangerous. They could be walking around the Capitol currently. Um, you know, th that's it just doesn't work. 
And the things that have come out so far, we do know of instances where lawmakers and legislative staff have been accused of sexual harassment of other staff. Uh, I mean, there's been there have been some serious allegations there. Oh, certainly. Okay. Well, that's all the time we have for this week on Capital Cast. Again, Capital Cast is a production of Capital News Illinois, a statehouse reporting project of the Illinois Press Foundation. Until next time, thank you for listening. <laughs>